want to learn how to become a millionaire? Are you committed to having financial freedom? To learn the secrets to building and managing a million dollar business, whatever it takes? Because today the opportunities are greater than ever to achieve your goals. Welcome to How to Be a Millionaire. In this show, we are on a mission to educate and empower a thousand new millionaires over the next 10 years through our nonprofit foundation at millionairestraining.org and through our fast track implementation programs at millionairesacademy.com. I'm your host, Sydney O'Sullivan. Some call me the Millionaire's Mentor because I've been building million dollar businesses for over 20 years. And in this show, I interview other millionaires in my network and get them sharing their best advice to create your big vision, discover your life purpose and legacy, build your dream team, develop a millionaire mindset, scale your business, invest for success, and manage and share your wealth and prosperity over the long term. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. It's Sydney O'Sullivan. And today, my interview expert is Colleen Hammond. Welcome, Colleen. Hi, Cindy. How are you? It's great to see you. Um, I've actually been a client of, of Colleen's for, for a while because she teaches people how to look great, do camera work, you know, record their training programs, make their TV shows. And I bought one of her programs and I was really blown away by the quality of her work. And then we happened to catch up in a, you know, we were both doing um, a podcast training and I said, hey, let's do an interview. I'd love to talk to you for my show. So you are a stylist, you're an ex-TV uh, personality. Uh, what else would you like us to know about you, Colleen? Uh, well, I think the big thing is that I've been working with women developing their style for almost 35 years, including a recent U.S. presidential candidate. So I work with everyone from stay-at-home moms to business owners to high-end politicians because, and over the 35 years, I've just found that when women are able to nail their style and know that everything that they're wearing makes them look and feel like amazing, Everything else seems to fall into place. Women just don't realize how great they feel when they've got that favorite outfit on every single solitary day. So that's what I do is I train women on how to figure out what to wear and then presentation skills, how to be on camera, because I did work at, I was doing weather at the Weather Channel and I had my own show and I was a network news anchor. And so I have all these years of experience in front of the camera, behind the camera, that especially now post COVID, we're doing a lot more on camera. We're doing a lot more with Zoom calls and that type of thing. So just taking all of those skills from the past and combining them to help men and women, but I do work with a majority of women, just present themselves better. Well, thank you. And, um, you know, we appreciate you because it is a whole learning curve. I work with a lot of authors. I teach them, a lot of them to be speakers. I help them with their speaker presentations. And then quite often we'll do a PR campaign for them and they'll start getting media. And that's a whole other thing again, right? Because you need to know how to talk to the media. So you grab the audience's attention right away. And um, I actually did an interview with one of my clients who's a gold medalist Paralympian. He's an amazing guy. He, we helped him publish his book. We've been getting him in the media and I wanted to include him as a champion of life. And it was a really hard work interview. And I had to say to him afterwards, we're going to have to get, give you some media training because he'd been trained as a, to be able to do short clips as an athlete. 
So he didn't, and, and what I found was it was really hard to get him. He's a naturally modest person anyway, but to get him to tell his story was like pulling, pulling it out of him. What do you find as, a, as an interviewer? What's the trick around that when you went to teach people how to be an entertaining guest in the media? Telling stories. I think that's the big thing is that people need to know, first of all, eye contact. It just, and especially with Zoom, people are always looking at their monitors, right? And no, you have to look at the camera because <laughs> people don't trust you if they can't see your eyes. And then, you know, the other thing is the palms of your hands. And I think that's why it's kind of funny when people get off a Zoom call, everybody waves goodbye. You don't do that in the boardroom. But uh, but but that, there's something about seeing the palm of someone's hand as far as body language is concerned. Um, you know, so there's a lot of those I tiny like little stop, things. Isn't it? It's like stop so yeah yeah um, you have to be careful if it's you, like I, a, I do want to warn you that at the end of my interviews we do kisses so okay oh, that's so, good. Um, I like that <laughs> only with my friends anyway so what were you saying though about the palms of the hands is it with the palms of the hands especially if it's palms up it's a body language thing so if you can see palms up but if you're framed like I am right now I'm framed in such a way that you can't see the palms of my hand I can, it's okay to wave you know so you're waving up like you're just waving goodbye to somebody so but I think the thing that people want are stories and we can all relate to a story. And so if he, you know, he or any of your other clients or somebody, when you're, nobody wants to know about you. They want to know about who you know and who you've done things with. And, you know, so oftentimes I'll get questions about, uh, like I did the marketing for the Passion of the Christ. I was on the marketing of the team. So I worked on a daily basis with Mal Gibson. So people want to know those types of stories. Or, you know, I can't say who the presidential candidate was that I worked with because I do have NDAs with a lot of my top people. But I can tell different stories of when I was on the campaign trail with them or some of the Nashville stars I've worked with. You know, how was it to work in Nashville? So people like to know stories and they can relate to those. And so when I'm training people for media, we, we dig in like, what stories can you tell? Where's your hook? And what can we get right off the top? I, I had one guy who <laughs> had an interview on NPR and he didn't know what the hook was. And I, and it was just like my, my interviews in three minutes, I'm like three minutes and you're just now calling me. So he came and he ended up coming up with it. How contraceptives cause drive-by shootings. That was his hook. And I didn't come up with it. He did, but it's training people to lead with something that's very intriguing and a little question like, wait a minute, does that even make sense? And then allowing the interviewer to dig a little bit deeper into that. Yeah, what I train my clients uh, with, without having your, your media background, but I just know as a person who listens to a lot of uh, interviews, I will say to them, look, you're talking about yourself too much. This is one of the things that I find when we're uh, working with, with any speaker really is, uh, is if they haven't been trained, then they don't realize that it needs to start with that hook and then grab the audience. And it has to be that good old, what's in it for me, right? W-I-I-F-M. And uh the uh, that's for those of you who don't know, that's an expression we used to use in speaker training about always remember it's got to be what's in it for the audience. Uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> radio, what's in it for me? So um, anyway, the the thing was that a lot of what I noticed is a lot of inexperienced interviewers will say, "Hey, you've got a great story. Tell us your story." And an inexperienced presenter will, or you know, interviewee will then start getting into this long, drawn-out story, and quite often the audience will go, "Oh, you know, like." 
they don't know you well enough yet to unless you've got that hook right and that that story crafted in a way that it engages them and draws them in and they can relate to it would you agree right. absolutely i remember being uh interviewed in a, a small network city <laughs> like a hundred count like it was a small town and this guy had a list of questions that he wanted to ask and it wasn't conversational you know so it was like he had his list of questions he gets down to like question three or four and I'm like I've already answered that mm -hmm. you know so he didn't know how to dig a little bit deeper and, well, and then, well, we, can, we can have the experience then to say well that's a great question Colleen but <laughs> really what we should be asking is this, right? So that's- And that's, that's a politician thing. Yeah. You'll notice that politicians don't answer the question they're asked. They answer the way they want it to answer. They get out the information that they want. And so when I'm working with people, it's the same thing. It's like, here's the points you want to get across. So weave this into your answers. It's, you know, right. it's just like working with politicians on how not to point, you know, because they always do the little fisty things. So, but well, it sounds like definitely you and I could do a whole media training course. We should <laughs> that. So let's, because uh, I work with all these authors and it's actually really tricky to find someone who, who really does know this stuff like you do. Um, I've worked with so many PR teams that are all talk, no action. Have you found that? There's a, uh, before we got on this call, we were talking about people we know who run publishing uh, courses and, and PR courses. And what I found was that there's a lot of people who maybe had experience being on TV or they've had experience getting their clients PR, but they don't know how to teach it. You know, being able to do it and being able to teach it are quite different things. Right. Because there's some people that just get it on a gut level and they don't know what they know type of thing. And so they can't teach it because they really haven't broken it down. And that's, I think, because I've spent so many years in front of the camera, I started modeling when I was 14. I was Miss Michigan by the time I was 17. Um, and then I went into television after college. So I didn't know what I knew until people started asking me questions. So now I teach a course how to look good on Zoom. Actually, it's how to look good on camera. I didn't want to get sued by Zoom. So <laughs> it's how to look good on camera. Well, and I teach- Zoom isn't everything. It happens that we use Zoom, but you know, Microsoft Teams is a whole other thing. Then there's GoToWebinars still- The tricks and yeah. And yeah, there's lots of different platforms, so. Right, so it, the, Zoom has almost become like Kleenex, you know, it's like <laughs> one of those words that we use for- <laughs> so yeah, I teach a course on how to look good on camera and it, it, it goes through lighting, your, your set, your background, what colors, if you have dark hair, where's your backgrounds, how to place your camera, you know, where do you position yourself in the camera? Um, and that's going to be different if you're shooting a course or if you're shooting an interview and, and doing something with the media, um, because you really, you have less than a second, it actually in point two of a second, someone determines whether they trust you or not. Mm -hmm. You haven't done anything. You haven't spoken. You didn't even have a chance to smile, you know? So you have 0.2 of a second and boom, somebody has a gut reaction to who they think you are. Um, and there's actually 11 characteristics that people determine about us in less than two seconds. So that can go from our income level to our religious beliefs, to trustworthiness, to there, there's a whole list. Um, and so it's important that when you first appear, whether on camera, on stage, in person, as you walk into a room, that you do it conscious of the fact that you will be judged. And people say, well, hey, you don't, people don't have a right to judge me. Okay, well, whatever, but they are. 
We all do it. And it's, it's a gut level thing. So if you walk on stage or in front of a camera and walk into a networking event, and you look like somebody from their high school that they hated, that, you know, they bullied you, you know, tough luck. I mean, they have a gut reaction because you reminded them of a bully from high school. But other than that, you have just a couple of seconds to make that first impression. And first impressions are lasting. 93% of people will not change their first impression of you. So it's important to get it right immediately. Wow, that is important. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about how for women in particular, I think women in the audience or women in general are quite harsh on each other. I mean, we judge men. Um, I remember going to a seminar where they took two people out of the audience that needed a style makeover and they gave them haircuts. They got them, a, you know, they got the man a really nice sharp suit. They gave the woman a really lovely, you know, business suit and brought them back out and the audience were blown away. We were like, wow, what a difference it makes. And uh, I have to admit, I have COVID here. It's getting so long, um, but the... <laughs> I, I, I'm interviewing other women and I'm like, oh, I like that hairstyle. Um, but the, uh, the, anyway, with what we, as women, we will judge other women by the height of their heels, by the, uh, you know, the tightness of their skirt or short, you know, the shortness of their skirt or uh, if their cleavage is too low. Um, we just, we, we find it, I know we've got all these judgments, right, that we bring with us that we put, put onto the speaker. And I think women are particularly hard on other women. And I, I would imagine men are as well making judgments by how you dress. Uh, I remember a, a, a friend of mine who was a speaker, she was putting on her first big event. And she's actually a photographer who, who styles a lot of speakers. And she kept sending me all these pictures before her event saying, do you like this outfit? Do you like that outfit? And I was like, why is she asking me? I'm not a stylist. And then I went to her event and I realized that she'd made a terrible mistake. She'd, she had a lovely figure, but she'd bought this pencil thin skirt and she couldn't walk on stage, right? She was, <laughs> it was too tight and it was really limiting her movement. So talk to us about that. But there's so many things. Oh gosh, I, there's so many things I want to unpack about that. Okay, so there's color. So color means different things depending on the occasion. So for example, red. So when we think of red, we think, oh, that's a power color because you look at senators and women, senators or congresswomen will get their official portraits done wearing a red blazer, but the skin is covered. So if you are wearing red, think like red light district, right? So we think it's kind of a sexy color, red lipstick and red. So if you wear red, but you're showing skin, it comes across very sexualized. If you wear red, but your skin is covered, like you talk about knees and cleavage and that's everything, then it comes across as a power color. If you're with, if, as a woman wearing red, if you're with men, now women with women, Women don't like other women wearing red. Doesn't matter how much skin you're showing or not. It's too much of a power color, woman to woman. So if you're in a network, if you, for example, I prepare people for job interviews. If you're going into a job interview and you know that as a woman, and you know that men are going to be interviewing you, wear red lipstick or a red blazer. Not too much red, but if you're going to use red, make sure your skin is covered. But if you're going into an interview as a woman and you know that there are going to be women interviewing you, do not wear red. You're better off in blue. 
So it depends. So it's the same thing on stage. If you're going to be with presenting to a room of half women, half men, then you're probably safer with blue. If it's going to be mostly men, go ahead with that red blazer. Mostly women, avoid red. So it depends on the situation. Um, then you're talking about comfort on stage. There's things that you don't wear on camera, colors that you don't wear on camera, colors you don't wear on stage. For example, you avoid black, you avoid white in both of those circumstances. Um, prints and patterns, you don't want a lot of prints and patterns. You want, especially if you're appealing to a higher income audience, you want to go for a column of color or you know, something that's solid. Uh, because it exudes wealth as opposed to something print and pattern. So there, there's so many things that go into it. It's and like actually there's the whole uh, psychology of color as well. So one of the things that I have to work with my clients on, because ultimately a lot of the time we're going to be helping them with their website and their book cover and the book cover is going to be lasting a long time. They're going to be, you know, using it. That's the thing. If we, if we help people write a book to help them promote their business or their authority, then a really good move is to start doing media interviews because it can bring so much extra business in for them and credibility. So they're going to be, what I've noticed when my clients get in the media, the media love that book and they're showing pictures of that book a lot. So holding it up, putting big pictures on the big screen. So I'm very conscious of how that book is going to represent them as a brand piece. And we then have to think about all the colors that we're going to use in the covers. And then, and we use blue a lot because blue is a trust color. It's a good solid corporate trust color. And I quite often have to explain this to my, to my clients, you know, a lot of the time they'll want to go with pastels, but I've found that that's like child, childcare colors, you know, or, um, you know, preschool and kindergarten and that kind of stuff. Or it's also very difficult to work with from a brand point of view to get all your, you know, your business cards and your websites to work when you're using really soft colors. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, we could talk about that stuff for hours, but this I is know, yeah. this is how to be a millionaire. So let's talk <laughs> business. That's now, right. You had a terrible car accident. I'm so glad that you are okay. I'm so glad that you've recovered as well as you have. Yes. And your business suffered. You had built your business up and then you had to put your business on hold because they, the doctors literally said you've had uh, exposure to concussion and you can't be sitting in front of a screen. It'll hurt your brain, right? So right. you had to take time off and then you had to rebuild. Tell us how you rebuilt into what is now looking like another seven figure business. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, one of those things where we did, we lost a lot of traction. And unfortunately, I had just been through a deal where I had to take time off because I was taking care of my mother as she was dying. And so there was that whole time of dealing with her and her Alzheimer's and, and that entire, you know, so, and then I just kind of come back from that. And then I had the car accident. And when you have any type of post-concussive syndrome, there's like no screens. So like you said, I had to take a year off. Well, then it was, I wish I had done, now this is what I wish I had done differently. I wish I had just hired somebody to come up with a newsletter and keep the emails going once a week. Because when I came back, people had forgotten who I was. So they're getting these emails. They're like, who is this Colleen person sending me this stuff? So that I wish I would have done different. Also, the big thing that changed when you're gone for a year, it's amazing how much changes in digital marketing and marketing in general. Uh, there are some tried and true things, but um, when I came back, it was almost starting from scratch. And within six months, we were, you know, we had a six, six figure month last month, had a six figure month this month. So we're, we're back on track where we want to be. But I think the big thing is to, you, you kind of have to keep your, your finger on the pulse of your clients. 
you know, and keep in touch with them and say, you know, sometimes we create something that we think is beautiful and wonderful and people go, oh, that's nice. But do they want it? It's just typical sales, find a need and fill it. Well, how do you find that need? You need to be in constant contact with your client base to say, hey, what's going on? So there'll be times Well, I'll pick up the phone and I'll call somebody. I'll just go into my list and start, you know, just going down through phone numbers and I'll pick up the phone and I'll call. And they'll say, hello. And I'm like, hi, Cindy, this is Colleen Hammond. You're on my email list. You're like, who is this? This is Colleen Hammond. Seriously? Yes. I just, is this a good time? Can we chat? And I'll talk to them and I'll say, what's going on in your life? And I'll pick a couple of people a week and I'll just make some phone calls and talk to people just to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on with them. And I started doing that this past year on recommendation from a friend of mine who's got a, a multi, like a eight, nine figure business, right? And that's what her recommendation was. And I, that's so much better than sending an email with a survey. Pick up the phone and call somebody. It, it is very good. I did it to my last live event. Uh, I didn't know, I was doing it in LA. I'm from, I was living in, in Sydney. So it was a different market for me. Oh. I wanted to make sure that my content was relevant for the LA people. I was doing it in Beverly Hills. So it's a very elite clientele. And, uh, and I did that. I started calling them all before the event, the people that had registered and, and, and they were like, same, as you said, they were like, really, it's you. And, <laughs> Cause I, I run celebrity events. So they, you know, they see me as a celebrity. And, uh, and so they were like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're calling me yourself. And, the rapport I had when they actually showed up was amazing. You know, they were so excited to get to meet me in person because of that little extra personal touch, right? right. And uh, the other thing that was interesting was I was just happened to be on Clubhouse the other night, which I've, I'm loving. I don't know if you're on Clubhouse yet, but- Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I just yes, I I sleep and I thought I'll just check out Clubhouse. And I, and I happened to, there was a room going on and it was all these uh, guys talking about buying businesses for a dollar. And they were saying that what they do is they go around and they said at the moment, there's this huge opportunity because there's a, a massive pool of baby boomers. There's a massive amount of businesses that have experienced. I mean, you experienced it because you had a lot of personal tragedy, which tends to happen. Um, one of my last interviews, she said, you know, when trouble comes, she brings her friends and they have a party, right? So that's right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and uh, anyway, the um, so you had a whole series of the universe putting up some roadblocks, which we find happens, right? And the sign of a true entrepreneur is one who keeps going anyway. And um, anyway, so they were saying that with, with, so a lot of people have been experiencing that what we've been experiencing, which is we've had to change the way we do business because the world has changed. So we've had personal changes that we've had to, you know, go through. And then also we're, uh, we're also having to shift to a whole other new way of doing business because of the pandemic. So these guys were saying that there's this whole flood of businesses out there of people who aren't able to shift. Maybe they're, they're, they were thinking about retiring anyway. There's all these baby boomers, the Gen X, Gen Y millennials, they don't really want to go into brick and mortar businesses, you know? So, so you've got less buyers, all these people who want to sell. And they said that quite often what they do is they go into the business. And the first thing that they do is they say to all the staff, what do you think we should do to make this business work better? And the staff will say, well, you know, this, this, and this, and this. And they said, quite often, if you just incorporate what the staff tells you, if you're open to hearing, uh, and I have bought, bought businesses and, and renovated them. And usually what I would do when I'd buy a rundown business, 
I would ask the customers, you know, the customers that were still coming in, I'd say, what can I do better that the last owners didn't do for you? And they'll tell you, right? If you're open. Hi, this is Sydney. And thanks for listening to the show today. If you liked today's episode, please let us know. Hit the subscribe button so you can get updates on our new episodes. Leave us a comment or review. We love all of your feedback. Share the show with your friends and most importantly, come introduce yourself at our free online community at millionairestraining.org.